Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Diana Kander. I want to let you know about a new podcast that you've got to hear. It's called The Juggernaut Interviews Founders. Listening to business podcasts, you can see a common theme with the glossy version of startup success, the kid genius with crazy technical chops who succeeds instantly and whose face quickly adorns every magazine cover. But with the Juggernaut Interviews founders, you'll hear a totally different story. On this new podcast, Juggernaut founder Snigda Soar interviews South Asian entrepreneurs about the startups they've created and the cultural legacies that they're building along the way. The Juggernaut Interviews gives you a front row seat on tomorrow's businesses and the next decade's leaders. Because at the end of the day, it's not about how I built this, but how I'm building this. Listen to the Juggernaut Interviews founders wherever you get your podcasts and tell them I sent you. Welcome to the Growth League. I am Diana Kander, a Midwestern mom of two and keynote speaker. And like you, I feel the call to grow. Before we get into today's episode, I have a favor to ask. Growing a podcast audience is hard, and we need your help in spreading the word. If you could share your favorite episode with your group chat, your boss, your team, or just anybody that you think might be interested, it would sure mean the world to me. To get us inspired for the week, every Monday, I seek out the most remarkable women leaders and uncover their rules for growth. This week's rule from Jillian Power is build your army. This episode is brought to you by Influence & Co. To find out how Influence & Co. can help you create relevant content, get more leads, improve your website's SEO, and drive exposure for your brand, go to influenceandco.com growth. It's the first week of March, and this March, in honor of Women's History Month, we're talking to women who were the first to do something big in their organization. Each of these women are trailblazers in their own right, and I wanted to spotlight them here so that we can celebrate their wins, learn from their stories, and be inspired to get out there and achieve our own firsts. This week, I talked to Jillian Power, the first person to come out as a transgender woman in her large law firm. Jillian has one of the most interesting, winding career paths that I've ever encountered. She grew up in South Africa and was originally going to be a doctor of naturopathy and homeopathy. But then she moved to London and took a job as a nighttime service desk clerk at a law firm, answering tech support questions in the middle of the night. From there, she had this meteoric rise to today where she's the chief information officer of a huge law firm, one of the largest 200 law firms in the country. At Lathrop GPM, Jillian runs the entire technology infrastructure, overseeing $18 million of expenses. As you'll hear in the interview, all throughout her career, Jillian has never been afraid to do the unprecedented thing or pitch the crazy innovative idea. But she's been very careful to build her own army of support all along the way. I wanted to talk to her to figure out how she did it and what secret she has to offer to the rest of us. So without further ado, here's Jillian. Jillian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Diana. It's wonderful to be here. I want to start right away with the service desk at night. 
where you were doing tech support in London to now you're the chief information officer at one of the largest law firms in the country. Was there a particular moment that you feel like, oh, this was the big breakthrough for me career-wise? Once I moved to the U.S., and had acquired some more experience, I think the breakthrough moment for me was actually realizing how important networking was and not computer networking, actual actual people networking. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, not, they're not dissimilar, but they're, but they're very important. I started doing a lot of work, joining a professional organization and doing a lot of volunteering and getting to know people. And it's amazing how many people are willing to give of their time in terms of advising. And as long as you're reciprocating in those relationships in some way, that they're balanced, you know, they turn into good friendships. Your network becomes your support structure. I mean, my sense of networking is not, it doesn't have a transactional view. It's because I just fundamentally enjoy getting to know other people. I always want to ensure that my connections with people are authentic, that I'm giving more to the relationship than what people might expect. You end up accumulating so much social capital, network capital through that. Well, so any advice to folks in the beginning or middle of their career on creating a network or continuing to build that infrastructure as they grow in their careers? Be intentional. I recall someone who I didn't know before, but sent me a very intentional LinkedIn request because they were wanting to move into cybersecurity. She just impressed me so much in in the way that she crafted her approach to me. It was so respectful, but it was so genuine. And I'm like, I'll take a call with this person. And I put some time aside one evening and I gave her my 50-minute download on ways that she could think about transitioning into a cybersecurity career. And she has gone about doing that. You know, I follow her on LinkedIn. I'm, you know, remain connected to her. I've checked in with her once or twice. And she's making that happen. And so did you have conversations like this of like, okay, I want to be the chief information officer. How do I make that happen? Did you make those kinds of reach outs? Shamefully not. (laughs) I I would, I mean, I would love, I would love to say that I had some grand intentionality behind it. I, I, I didn't, I certainly did the work and in, in terms of establishing trust with the partnership and demonstrating the quality of my work. But I really can't say that it was something that I was absolutely choosing to, to seek out. Well, not only have you had this incredible rise throughout your career, but your law firm recently merged with another large mm-hmm. law firm. How did you navigate that situation? Uh, the same way I've always done it. Connections with people, setting clear intentions and goals about the work that has to be done, listening to people who are feeling anxious about the change and transition that the the firms are going through. Yeah, and being clear and maintaining command and calmness of those situations is is absolutely critical. Okay, well, let's talk about maintaining command and calmness. In 2014, you did something unprecedented. I feel like in law firms, you sent a letter to the whole firm coming out as a transgender woman. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how you decided that this was something you had to do and how you planned for it. So as I progressed on my leadership journey, I recognized that holding this part of myself back, which I'd been aware of and grappling with at various points throughout my life, was really holding me back as a leader because I was truly living life in the third person. Everything that I was doing when I was 
presenting to the world as male was being interfaced through a cognitive process where it was, this is my internal sense of self, but the world's expecting me to be male. So therefore I need to modulate how I'm in the world so that people will think I'm male, but I don't feel like I am. That's very expensive cognitively. Think of it as acting 24-7 without ever leaving, ever being able to leave the stage. And that realization of living life in the third person, in a sense, I have to actually resolve the situation because it's constraining my effectiveness. When you're doing that kind of cognitive processing all the time, even though you've been really good at it for a long time, you know, for a good portion of your life, it's not an expense that you're willing to keep incurring. So knowing that a change of this type is unprecedented, I drew upon all of my experiences. So I've, for a long time, I've had, a, I've had a meditation practice in my life, which has given me a lot of groundedness and you know, the ability to be perhaps a little bit more objective about you know, situations. Then I started reaching out to people that I trusted you know, people that I knew I could tell about these upcoming plans and, in a sense, recruit them to support me. I had a running joke with a couple of friends, and I called it Jillian's Army. These are the people that I had recruited to help me in this effort. And they were all incredibly willing recruits. So much abundance of support that people were willing to give me because I had entrusted them with, you know, information about myself that they could have used to destroy me or they could have used to injure me. And the other thing that I learned along the way is it really fine-tuned my intuition because how do you test whether someone's going to be supportive? You can't really because any line of questioning that you might introduce to say, well, how do you feel about trans people is going to kind of give the game away. But I, I was very fortunate that one of the first person that I came out to was our chief marketing officer at the time. And she really helped me craft some of the narrative because it is narrative that you're building. And building a narrative about yourself. And what was really funny was I, I spent, oh goodness, about nine months writing my coming out letter. I mean, it was probably the most, the most edited document in all of history, <laughs> <laughs> at least in my experience. But I crafted the narrative. I mean, the, the, well, the opening quote I think I used was, you know, the journey from the head to the heart is the shortest and the longest journey. But look, aside from all of that preparation, and it was a, an incredible amount of preparation, what you cannot escape is that there's always a point where you have to make a leap of faith. And I'll tell you how it played out was, you know, I spent all this time writing this letter. I eventually had the courage to actually print out copies of it and put it in sealed envelopes and bring it into the office with me. And then I quickly put it into my desk drawer. And then I sat there and I go, well, I'm not any further necessarily because I still haven't said anything, you know, and started with our CEO, you know, took, took in the letter in a sealed envelope. And I said, there's some personal information in here. I don't want, you don't have to read this now. I don't want you to have to respond to it. Please take it home. And he did and, you know, shared it with his wife and came back the next day with so much support. But that's that leap of faith that you just don't know how people are going to respond. So you do all that preparation, but at some point you say, enough, I've done enough. Now I need to actually make that leap of faith. I feel like so many people listening might be in industries that they believe it would be impossible to be their authentic self, whether it's coming out or sharing 
something else about themselves. I'm sure you have a lot of examples of things that people have now confided in you. What advice would you give to them about taking this leap of faith? I mean, do your preparation. Be thoughtful, intentional about what you're doing. You know, don't don't let fear dominate. There's that wonderful saying, and I kept it on my desk, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the belief that something better exists other than fear. I'm paraphrasing it, so I didn't get the quote perfectly right. But courage isn't recklessness. Between a one-year-old and an eight-year-old who it feels like are playing a game of tag team of who's going to wake up mom early in the morning, getting the most amount of sleep that I can is vital. That's why I depend on my Helix mattress, which, as just an aside, is a super fun product to unbox, you think. How could they possibly have fit this mattress inside this box? And it's so fun to watch it unroll and take shape. Helix Sleep has this quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. You're getting a mattress that you know is going to be perfect for the way that you sleep. Everybody's unique and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. I took the Helix quiz and I was matched with the Midnight Lux mattress because I sleep on my side. I don't know if that's TMI for you. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, and then the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store ever again. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattresses and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com growth. That's helixsleep.com growth. What if you could use science to discover more about your body all year long? Give yourself more clarity and better understand your health and wellness with EverlyWell at-home lab tests. EverlyWell at-home lab tests give you physician-reviewed results and personalized insights so that you can take action on your health and wellness all at an affordable and transparent cost. With over 30 tests, you'll be able to choose the ones that make the most sense for you. Food sensitivity, metabolism, sleep and stress, and thyroid are just a few of the many options. Here's how it works. EverlyWell ships your at-home lab test straight to you with everything that you need for a simple sample collection. Using the prepaid shipping label, you mail your test back to a certified lab, and in just days, it's so fast, your physician-reviewed results and actionable insights are sent to your device. Personally, I took the food sensitivity and the woman's health test, and I came away with surprises in both cases. And for listeners of the show, EverlyWell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash growth. That's everlywell.com slash growth for 20% off your at-home lab test. We like to create tools on this show. So if I was making like a top three list of how I know when I'm prepared for a leap of faith, what would you say? I think there's one. And I think you know it in your gut. I think you know it in your innermost self. I mean, you could look for signs of that. You know, you could look for outward signs like your your level of calmness about something or your level of comfort or self-acceptance or whatever it is. But there's a place within each of us and I think it can be located somatically. I think it can be located in your body where there's a calm assertiveness and assuredness that you're ready. There might be a lot obscuring it, you know, because there's a lot of nerves and jitters going around it, but you can even look past that. And there's still that place within yourself where that exists. And curiously, it's the same place that guides your intuition about people and situations. I think that's 
exceptional advice, but also create an army, yes. right? And yeah. it, it, that feels like a theme that's been true throughout your career. You yeah. called it networking before, but it was really Jillian's army to find better opportunities. Yeah. So I heard you say in a previous interview that because you spent a large part of your career presenting as a man, you didn't really get the full perspective of the challenges that women face, especially in the technology field, until you publicly crossed over that gender line. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know some of those takeaways that you've had on this topic. You know, I've been in, I've been in situations that sometimes vendor presentations or something like that, and they don't know my position. And there's a lot of sidelining. There's interrupting, you know, and just a general disbelief that even a female CIO can be technical. You're saying you were treated one way yeah. when you were presenting as a man and mm -hmm. completely differently. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah. And it's also micro stuff as well. You know, there's there's so much marketing. I mean, there's an incredible amount of marketing, marketing from tech companies and, and vendors and stuff. And so much of it is is geared towards men. Even the choices of events that people want to have for their customers you know it's like come on people really <laughs> really like i don't want to go shoot guns and smoke smoke cigars and you, you know what i have male peers who actually don't like that stuff either but why is you know why is positioning your product with decision makers have to be built around all of this hyper machism what i do know about you is your constant search of something better and new and trying new things. Mm -hmm. And I, I secretly have this hypothesis that this might be the secret to your rise. I don't know if you, if you feel that way, but I'm just curious if there were a couple of instances in your career where you feel like you did a good job of positioning yourself as the innovator. I think in, in the industry, people can be extremely risk averse. Right. There's a lot of risk averseness with regard to technology or new, you know, new ways of organizing things or positioning stuff. It's because people don't want to, in a sense, do the work to take an idea or to take a potential and bring it to being a reality. But the other aspect to it is that I'm not scared to connect non-obvious potentials. An example last year with a very well-established incumbent that has brought a particular product to market. And, you know, I got on a call with them and I pointed out to them an entire other aspect of the product that they hadn't thought about in the way that it could be utilized for some very definite needs within, within law firms. And I made the argument to them so well, it impressed them so well that I just received news this week that they've actually developed my idea. Oh, that's cool. And we're looking at bringing them in and it's going to solve a business problem for us. They had some of the idea, but they weren't seeing the full picture of the potential. And it's about connecting that and articulating it for them in a way that they can see that it's worth deploying resources to, to build it out, to advance it. So, you know, that that's the innovator as a connector. As someone who can articulate latent potential. Okay, speed round. Mm -hmm. Got a series of questions for you. Jillian, what do you believe is your superpower habit? Something that's a habit or a system that you do that you think most people don't do? I don't know if people don't do it, but I, I practice remembering the name of God. Tell me about that. I mean, technically it would be called Japa, 
and it's the in meditation and outside of traditional meditation is is remembering any of the names of God. And what that does for you is it brings you to your brings you to your center in the midst of activity. Okay, well, I have some googling to do after this. I'm very excited <laughs> to do that. Jillian, what is your kryptonite habit? Something that could be holding you back. I do like stability. As restless as I am, I do like stability. And you know, it's about pushing myself out of stability and status quo. Name the biggest oops of your career, sometime when you messed something up, you fell down, whatever it might be, and what you took from that. This one's quite painful, but I'll share it. I I remember going on a trip to Florida, and as you cross over the border between Georgia and Florida, at one point there was a, a large flagpole on private property with a big Confederate flag on it. And I remember seeing that as a someone relatively new to the country, and it really hit me to my core about what that was signaling to people, right? And the intentions behind it. And I came back to Kansas City and I, I shared it with someone that worked for me, someone who was someone of color as a way where I believed that I was really empathizing with them because I was saying to them, look, I saw that and I knew that the person had lived in Florida as well. So they'd experienced some of the cultural challenges that can be experienced there. And my intention was not the way that they reacted to my intention and connecting with them about that was absolutely 180 degrees to what I would have expected. It was a real wake up to th- that as a leader, it doesn't matter what your intentions are. It's about the effect. It's not enough to be purely intentioned you have to really own what the effects of your statements or actions are going to be with other people. And, you know, nothing bad came of it. It was a misunderstanding, but it was just something that had impacted me so profoundly. And I had shared that impact with someone and they didn't respond well to that. So there was a huge learning and the, the responsibilities that come with leadership. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is a very powerful story. I. I want to like a newscaster and and on a, a fun one. What is a strongly held belief that you have that might make for a fun debate at a dinner party? Uh, that we are probably living in a hologram. <laughs> oh, I knew you'd have something good. Yeah, that would make for an excellent yeah. debate. You're right about that, Jillian. Thank you so very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So much to be pulled out, not only from the whole conversation, but specifically from the rule of build your army. And this week, I'm once again joined by my producer, Adesua, to talk through the rule before we finish the show. Adesua, Tell me what you thought of when you heard the term build your army or how you think about networking in general. Yeah, well, I liked the idea of building an army so much more than I like the idea of just like networking. (laughs) I really don't like it when people just sort of talk about networking as like finding ways to get people to do stuff for you because that always felt very disingenuous to me. But I do love 
meeting people and I love making friends. And I feel like the way that Jillian talks about finding people who you trust and building deep, authentic relationships with them is just so much more appealing to me as a way to think about networking than just being like, add 10 people on LinkedIn. (laughs) You know, when I was young in my career, I read this book called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. Have you ever heard of it? No. So it's all about how to create meaningful relationships with professional contacts. And it really changed my life from I'm going to add 10 people a day to who do I have connections with? Who do I want to build real relationships with? And, you know, you do it. This is a new term I heard this week, open handed, right? Like you're not expecting anything in return. You just think they're awesome and you're a better person for knowing them. And I think thinking about it in this format of building your army, just a group of people you'd go into any battle with, whether it's your own or theirs, is very powerful. And I think when you think about it like that, the range of people who you can include in that becomes so much bigger, right? Because it's not just like people you work with. It can be like your actual friends or your family. I I would love to continue this conversation in our in our Facebook group. What are you curious about from our community? What do you want to hear? Yeah, I think I'm curious about who's in people's armies. Who are the people that you count on to pull you forward? And, you know, where'd you find those people and how'd you make those connections? I'm curious about how you stay in touch with people who you don't see and talk to every day, like people outside your core. How do you make sure that those relationships are are still fresh and top of mind for people? Mm, That's a great question. So they'll have to join us in the Facebook group, Adesua to have these amazing conversations. It sounds like it. Thank you again to Influence & Co. for sponsoring this show. If you're looking for resources to build a results-driven content marketing strategy, I highly recommend checking out Influence & Co.'s content marketing course. With promo code GROWTH, our listeners can get the course for 50% off. You just visit influenceandco.com slash growth to learn more. That's it for this week's episode of The Growth League. Please make sure that you're subscribed to get all the future episodes. And if you get a chance, leave a review to let us know how you're liking the show. I am Diana Kander, wishing you an amazing growth-filled week. The Growth Week is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Edie Allard, Adesua Agbanile, and Taylor Williamson. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan, and our editor is Emily Rudder. <laughs>